This morning we're turning together to Proverbs chapter 12 for our reading regarding the precept of the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's the prohibition form. We know that the Ten Commandments are not exhaustive statements of the duties required and the sins forbidden. They are representative uh, summaries of the Word of God. As you know, we've been looking at one message, uh, the prohibition form of the command, and the following message, the precept form. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the prohibition form, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. But we know the precept form is, Thou shalt bear, false, bear true witness for thy neighbor, or it may be against thy neighbor, if it's a witness against their, uh, their life, or if they have sinned and and uh, we're witnessing their transgression in a court of law. Chapter 12, beginning with verse 17, Proverbs. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. Amen. man named Peter Craigie who was, uh, who was a commentator in his commentary on Deuteronomy says that the Decalogue provided the framework within which we can express our love for God and for our neighbor. In other words, the Ten Commandments are, are uh, guides for our love for the Lord and for our love for each other, for our neighbor. How do we love the Lord? Well, we love Him by having Him alone as our God, by worshiping Him as He commands us in Scripture and not with our own uh, inventions, by taking His name up reverently and not in vain, by remembering His day to keep it holy and not profaning His day. And, And same with the second table of the law. How do we love our neighbor? By honoring those in authority over us by being kind to them, by not murdering them, by not lusting after them, but promoting their purity. What is number eight? By not stealing from them, but being generous to them and promoting their welfare 
And we come to the ninth commandment, which is the fact that we are to uh, love our neighbor by not lying to them or bearing false witness against them, but by speaking the truth. And number ten, by not coveting their possessions, but being thankful for what they have. And uh, again, trying to preserve and promote their uh, economic welfare. Underlying the ninth commandment is the truth that God is a God of truth. He does not lie. Matter of fact, it says he cannot lie in the book of Titus. Where we're told, as Paul writes to Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, it's one of those blessed impossibilities of God. It's impossible for God to lie. And that's a blessed impossibility. God cannot sin. It's impossible for Him to do so. And again, these commandments represent uh, categories and they're thorough in number. There's no one that can devise an eleventh command as if God missed something. Uh, Or how is it that people dare to reduce the Ten Commandments by eliminating one or more, and particularly how people have have, have uh, basically eliminated the fourth commandment and just relegated it to antiquity. But there are ten, not nine or eleven commandments, and we find that the uh, way in which the commandments are given, the most serious uh, of the uh, matters are usually uh, indicated by the command, like thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. But all the other um, applications, all the other matters concerning someone's life are also included. Jesus said, if we hate uh, our brother, if we hate our neighbor, we murder them. For hate is the motivation for murder. And of course, just slicing people with with uh, with bad names is also a breach of the sixth commandment. Where the ninth commandment deals with perjury, the most serious of the lies in this category, and that's how it's written: "Thou shalt not bear false witness." It's it's the language of law, it's the language of the courtroom, just like in Proverbs chapter twelve: "He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness." But it's not just referring there to telling the truth, but it's, it's actually the context of, of a witness in court because the second part of the verse says, but a false witness uh, shows deceit. So a false witness is someone who's in court committing perjury. So uh, the most serious of the sins of lying or the most serious of the the uh, duties of telling the truth is represented by this courtroom language. And it's very important, obviously, to, uh, for the people of Israel to be honest. Someone's life could depend upon it. And so, therefore, it was a very serious offense to commit perjury. Remember from our study uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, if, you were, if you were a false witness, whatever penalty you were hoping that the person you were lying about under oath 
would receive, you would receive it if you were caught lying under oath. And if, for instance, you were witnessing uh, for the execution of someone, uh, you would have to be the first or one of the ones to cast the first stone. And so you would think twice about obviously committing perjury. But I suspect that there would be people that perhaps would not even want to give a a true witness to execution because they would not want to cast the first stone. But yet it's our responsibility, if we are a a true witness to a crime like that, to uh, have courage and integrity to step forward and be a true witness. This is the second commandment, remember, that regards the tongue and how quickly we are to commit uh, sin of the ninth commandment. The tongue is a very difficult organ to control, and yet it turns about the whole realm like a wheel of a ship or a vehicle. But the Bible tells us that God is greater than our tongue. He's greater than our tendencies. Ephesians chapter 4 says to believers, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So you can see that this is also a under the category of the ninth commandment, but this is now dealing not just in the courtroom, but outside the courtroom. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth. You see, that's the precept of the ninth commandment. Putting away lying, which is the prohibition, let us now speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Of another, It's a huge category. This category of speaking the truth. Um, for instance, under the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 112, we look at the, the duties of this commandment. Question, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? The answer, God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone. I twist no one's words, nor gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That's an appropriate uh, application, isn't it, to the Ninth Commandment. Very huge category. So as we look at the precept of speaking the truth to our neighbor, uh, let us look at some... Thoughts. Let's consider some thoughts about this commandment. Number one, I think we need to remember to repent of any want of conformity to or transgression of the ninth commandment. I think it, it stands that, that every person transgresses this commandment in thought, word, and deed. And we need on a daily basis to ask the Lord, and it's a positive thing to repent of any want of conformity to and transgression of the ninth commandment. There have been times when we should have spoken the truth and we didn't. We didn't lie, but we didn't speak the truth as responsible brothers or sisters or citizens. 
And of course, there are times when we have transgressed this commandment. There are many ways in which we, have, we can do so as we studied the last time. We can exaggerate stories. We can uh, ha- tell half-truths. We can twist someone's words. And uh, you remember what they did to Jesus. They brought in false witnesses and they spoke words of truth that He had spoken, but they twisted them to mean something differently. When they said to Him, uh, Show us a sign that you have the authority to purge the temple of, of uh, these money changers. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And they were still building Herod's temple. It, took, it had been 46 years still. That, and it would be almost an impossibility unless the Lord can do anything He desires. But three days, if it's taken 46 Years, we know that building new houses takes four to six months and maybe longer. It took how long? Eight months for the rebuild. Even remodeling homes takes uh, many months. But nonetheless, Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body and not of Herod's temple. And remember, they couldn't find any any uh, bad things to say about Jesus as they tried to uh, lasso him, to crucify him. But finally they brought in two witnesses that twisted his words. They said, he lied, basically. He said that you could destroy this temple and build it in three days. And uh, they twisted his words. Yes, he had said those words, but he didn't mean the physical temple. He meant the temple of his body. But this was an indication of their lie. We need to repent. If we have twisted someone's words or told half-truths in order to promote ourselves and demote someone else. And, and we have many, much motivation, plenty of incentive. The first of all is the fact that God has commanded us to put away lying, to repent of our sins. The fear of God is plenty of incentive for us to repent of our lies. Love for our neighbor. Paul goes on to say... Uh, Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Just the thought of us having a neighbor, one close by, who's made in the image of God. Love for our neighbor is an incentive for us to repent and to speak the truth. And especially as Christians, for he says, for ye are members one of another. So it's the command of God, charity is an incentive, and the covenant, the church covenant, that we are members one of another, is incentive for us to speak the truth. Colossians 3 and verse 9 says, basically, stop lying to one another. We say, how can I do that? As a sinner, the momentum, and especially the sin of lying, is a great sin, a common sin. And yet, we know that repentance can stop. The Lord gives us a new heart and forgives our sins. We repent and we reckon ourselves to be dead to this sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So repentance and faith in the Lord that He can help us overcome. Secondly, everyday truthfulness and honesty is a precept of this command. Jesus said you ought not to have to multiply oaths and vows. Jesus was not teaching that oaths are no longer for today when He said swear not at all. But the context is that you should 
speak yea and nay, that people should believe your word. Whether you say yes or no about something, there's no need to multiply oaths. Remember as we were growing up, we'd say something and it seems like what we said may have been unbelievable, and maybe it was. And, and we said, I swear to God. And yet, how often that was taking the Lord's name in vain, especially if I had said something unbelieving. But even a, a swift use of God's name without forethought is, is uh, profaning His name. But yet, we did that because we tended to disbelieve one another. And we felt as if we made an oath that that would, be, that would trump anybody's unbelief. And yet, it's true that something serious, and Jesus Himself under oath said that He was the Son of God, Oaths and vows should only be made in various, very serious situations. And under oath, for instance, in court, it's someone's life is at stake or someone's reputation. You might as well kill him if you kill his reputation. And those are obviously serious situations where we're put under oath. But we should be known as just being truthful in everyday situations at home, at the dinner table, at work, out wherever we are among people, among strangers. We should be known for truthfulness and honesty. Christians should be equated with truth. As the, God is a God of truth, so the godly are godly people who tell the truth. We should relate matters as they are. We should, when we tell a story or give an incident, it should be unexaggerated. When we make promises, they should be faithfully kept. And if they cannot be, that we ask, that we indicate that. And if we have forgotten a promise that we made, we should repent and ask forgiveness of the one that received our promise. And even jokes need to be carefully made so that they are not actually lies. And someone told us about Queen Elizabeth recently that she was hiking with her bodyguard. I think it was in Scotland. I don't remember exactly where it was. I just read it also in the newspaper. Um, but two American tourists were hiking and they came across the Queen and her bodyguard. And, and the uh, one American said to the Queen, Have you ever met the Queen? And she said, I haven't but he has many times. And the man said, uh, would you handed his camera to the queen and said, would you take a picture, please, of the two of us? And, uh, of course, he did. But the, man, the bodyguard was kind enough and shrewd enough to say, now let me take a picture of you and the missus. And uh, they never let on to it. And, they, and the queen said, I hope that he, when he returns to America that he'll discover uh, what really happened. Now, the queen wasn't lying. She, she was uh, joking with this man that she, uh, she had never met the queen. Obviously, you don't meet yourself. But yet, we, we have to be careful. Uh, Dan filled a couple of jugs of water a couple weeks ago in the basement and, and his hands were full and I took a couple of them outside and put them next to his car. He was taking them home and, and he was w looking for his water and 
I said something like, didn't you want me to water the flowers? And uh, I don't think I was lying. I was, I was uh, just joking. But again, we need to be careful that we don't lie outright. And, you know, you look at, for instance, on the road to Emmaus. Jesus just joined the two, uh, um, Cleopas and perhaps his wife. They were headed home and they were dejected over the crucifixion of Christ. And yet Jesus was there walking with them. And, and he said, why are you dejected? And they just exploded. Don't you, are you a stranger? Don't you realize what's happened? And, and there's been a crucifixion of, the, of, of who we thought was the Messiah. And right down the line, they're just uh, informing Jesus of what he obviously already knows. And, and Jesus said, what things? Now, obviously, he was, he was uh, trying to get them to, to, uh, to understand who he was, that he was walking with them, but obviously he was not ignorant when he asked what things to these two men, but he was just trying to draw in them uh, faith, if you will, and try, trying to draw in them the fact that... that um, they were dejected and unneedfully so. But you and I should be just known as just speaking the truth. No one should be thinking, well, if I ask them, I'm going to just be told a, a, a right out lie or a white lie or they're going to deceive me. And People should be able to say, you know, you can go to him or her and you'll be given the truth. Now, you might be hit between the eyes with the truth. But you're going to be given the truth. You can know that they'll be honest, even if they're hurt. And that's what the Bible says, for instance, if, and kept going ahead of myself, but if we make an oath and we find out after we've made it that it's going to, it's going to cost us something, whether money or time or effort um, or, or uh, inconvenience, we are to stick to our oath. Unless it was a false oath, like Herod when he he uh, falsely uh, swore to give anything to his his uh, stepdaughter-in-law, we ought to be known for our everyday truthfulness and honesty. Thirdly, we should, if called into court, we should witness truthfully. Now, I don't know if any of us in this room have ever had to witness under oath, but if we may, if we ever have to. We should not, uh, especially if we are witnesses to something, we should not seek to wiggle out from that responsibility or lie as if we weren't witnesses. But we are to be careful that we don't stand against the blood of our neighbor if it's a false witness. But Leviticus 19, verse 16, teaches us that we are to stand even if it's against the blood of our neighbor if it's a true witness. And that would certainly be very difficult if you have to stand against a parent or a sibling who may have murdered or may have committed a great crime. And we were witnesses to that. And uh, the Bible teaches that we ought not to respect persons, whether the rich or the poor or the familiar or the stranger. We are to be true witnesses. Jonathan witnessed for David at his own cost, his father's wrath. He was saying, you're unrighteous to a call for the, the, the death of this 
this man. David's been faithful to you. David is a godly man. And of course, Saul understood that Jonathan had, had, uh, uh, had understood that David was going to be the next king and was willing to, to uh, defer to David, knowing that Jonathan was next in line. But we know in the Bible there have been false witnesses that God punished severely. Remember Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab wanted a, probably a half an acre of ground. It was, a, it was the vineyard of a man named Naboth, but it was close to the, the palace. And Ahab wanted it for a garden, but Naboth and his, his relatives had owned this piece of ground for many years. And Naboth didn't want to, to relinquish it. Matter of fact, the Bible says it ought not go f- from tribe to tribe. So Ahab asked if he could, if he could trade uh, pieces of real estate. But Naboth said, no, I'd, I'd like to keep this vineyard. I'd like to keep this piece of ground. So what happened? Ahab went home like a crybaby and probably curled up on his bed and waited for his wife to return. And she said, why are you dejected? You're the king. This man's just, just a nobody. We'll, just, we'll get this, this land for you. And she, she uh, suborned false witnesses. And the end of the story there for Naboth was he and his sons were executed because of false witnesses. But the Lord showed the severity of this crime as we, we know that Ahab was, was slain when a, someone just taking a, a random shot of his bow and arrow went right between the kinks of his, of his armor. And you remember the demise of Jezebel that she was thrown from an upper window and she was eaten of dogs. And they didn't even want her skull or her hands because they were so wicked. All they saw left was, was her Golgotha, her skull and her hands being a murderous thief. And of course, the false witnesses against Jesus. But we also ought not to be a true witness in an unjust cause. Judas was a true witness, wasn't he? He said, he's the Messiah. I'll show you who he is. But Judas was doing it for an unjust cause, to see Jesus put to death and for him to enrich himself. And so we ought to be careful that we are not false witnesses, to a true cause or true witnesses to a false cause. I mean, we can, we can certainly transgress this commandment in many ways, but we ought, to, we ought to be dutiful in our witness. I will not be even a true witness in an unjust cause, but I will not be a false witness in a just cause. I want to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. That is an appropriate uh, expression under oath. We ought to be true witnesses. No one should doubt that we're going to tell the truth, whether in everyday life or in serious legal situations. But in, this, in a religious context, the Bible teaches that we ought to keep our oaths and vows. Matthew 5.33, the Lord Jesus was not saying that you ought not to make any oaths. But 
he quoted scripture that you ought to deliver to the Lord your oaths. And whenever you and I make an oath, unless it's, a, unless it's a, an oath that transgresses God's word, like Herod, you remember, said to his stepdaughter-in-law, Herodias' daughter, when she danced before him and his friends, probably in his drunken stupor, he said, I'll give you anything you want, even half of the kingdom. And she said, I want you to, I want you, I want my, I want to have John the Baptist's head on a platter. What should Herod have done? Well, I've already made an oath. I can't go back on my oath. And because of his pride and because of his embarrassment before his friends, he went ahead and had an executioner, executioner behead John, righteous John the Baptist. He should have repented. Lord, it was wrong for me to lie and to, to uh, express this oath. But every, every legal oath we ought to keep, no matter what it might be. You may have made an oath before men, whether it be an oath you've, you've sworn to, to work so many hours. with uh, Those are really covenants or oaths with people, whether it be an individual that you're, you're working for, a job, a business, that basically the, the standard is, I'm going to work, but if something ever happens, I'm going to give a two-week notice. And yet how people have not only broken their oaths, they've broken their covenants, they haven't even given the employer the opportunity to, um, to find further help. Remember Dan sharing that he was uh, he'd worked faithfully for a person, a business, and and uh, he gave a two week notice to this business owner, and the owner just let him go. He didn't want uh, he he was upset that Dan gave a two week notice, and yet he'd worked for him apparently for a long time, and Dan did the right thing for his his neighbor, for his boss, as well as for himself, and and that's the result of his faithful labor. You can go home now. You're done. And uh, didn't pay him for the re- for the two weeks, but it may be whether it be a, a business, whether it be a church covenant, whether it be a, a marriage covenant, we ought to keep our oaths and vows, even to our hurt. As you know from from Psalm 15, for instance, people will make oaths, but then they'll say, "Uh oh," after they've made an oath that they were challenged with some situation that. Uh, they would have to forfeit, and what should they do? Look at chapter uh, 15 of, of the psalm. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Those are all in the category of number nine. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. Notice, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's indicating someone who's made an oath, entered into a covenant, but he found out it was to his own hurt. And then he reneged. Where the Bible says here, you make a covenant, it's a lawful covenant, an awful, a lawful oath or a vow, 
and you find out that it's going to be costly or inconvenient or you're going to lose your reputation or whatsoever, and you change, you've broken God's Word. You've, you've violated the Ninth Commandment. It's a serious, serious sin that we need to repent of. And we need to be careful when we make oaths and vows that we're faithful, that we are willing to, to suffer in order to honor our word and to exalt the Lord rather than for our own convenience and our own benefit to transgress God's commandment. When we make a vow to the Lord, Ecclesiastes said, says in chapter 5, better not vow than, break, than make a vow and break it. We ought to be careful. I'd like to read that again because how often have, have we made vows to the Lord? Lord, if you, if you do this for me and answer this prayer, I will do this for you. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Verse 4, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to sin. I was listening to a message uh, by, in, or, uh, by Alan Cairns, who now is with the Lord. And he said that there was a man that he was visiting that was deathly ill. And uh, he was moaning and, and weeping. And he, and he was right there before his bed. And he wasn't a saved man. But he made a vow to God. He, he cried out and Dr. Cairns was there. And he said, if you, God, if you heal me and deliver me, I promise you that I will seek you, that I will attend church, that I'll become a Christian, basically was his vow. And the man was healed. He was able to get up, but he forgot his vow. He reneged, turned his back on the Lord, and it wasn't long. I think Dr. Karen says it was about six months that he became deathly ill once again. And he was so hardened, he didn't even want to hear anything about the Lord. He, was, he felt absolutely hopeless. God had now turned His back on this man, like Proverbs 1 says. Then shall they call upon me, and I will not hear. And this is what happened to the man who vowed and did not pay. Psalm 50, one more text. Oaths and vows are, are very, very serious matters before our God. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Often vows are made when we are in trouble. And the Lord delivers us, but then we come to another trouble that, that uh, if we have not kept our vows, then we see that the Lord will often leave, leave us to ourselves. But God is faithful, and we ought to be, be truthful to the Lord. Oaths and vows are legitimate means of worship. They prove the Lord to 
bless our marriage as we enter into covenant with our spouse and to preserve our marriage from all the temptations and the attacks in the world, to bless and preserve our church membership for the advancement of God's kingdom, or to answer a special request that will be costly. You remember, Jacob said, Lord, I'm alone here in the wilderness. If you, if you protect me and lead me to my family to find a wife, and I return to my father safely... Jacob put himself on the, on the line. He said, I will give thee a tenth of all that I possess. Of course, that became the standard for Christians ever since. But he put himself on the line and there's no indication that, that Jacob ever reneged on his vow. Matter of fact, he no doubt gave more than a tithe of what he possessed. And yet, how often have I heard people say, I can't afford a tithe? And again, we can't afford not to because... Uh, We don't want to rob from the Lord. We are next to promote and preserve and maintain the reputation, the good name, and the work of our neighbor. It's tail-bearing and slander, jealousy and envy, plagiarism. All these things are that which uh, ruins the reputation and the good name and the work of our neighbor. We ought to be very careful. Like it says in in Leviticus, we ought not to go up and down as a tail-bearer, a bearer of tails. And by the way, that's the focus this afternoon uh, to uh, give up gossip. Gossip is a big, uh, te- a big category in the book of Proverbs. But how people love to take the tails of other people's sins and problems and Bear it like merchants taking their ware across the world. And yet we have people that are not only they're very skilled at gossip. They'll 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 be dejected, uh, a downcast look. They'll share the problems of others and they'll say keep it secret. But then they'll be spreading it. They want to be the one that spread it publicly. But you and I ought to be there to say, wait a minute, when someone tells a tale, is it true? And you ought not to be spreading this to me. Why do I need the information? Or not to be so swift to believe. The Bible says love, what? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, love says, I'm not going to believe this. I hope that, I'm, I'm trusting it's not true. And I'm going to, they're innocent and proved guilty. And the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, not in one witness, let every word be established. And you, ought, you and I ought not to be ones not only who bear the tales, but hear the tales. We want to think well of our neighbor. And even if we discover the truth of our neighbor's downfall, we should not be the ones that take that tale with delight, but those that fall on our faces. Paul could say about his enemies that he was weeping as he spoke of them. Philippians chapter 3. Tailbearing is that which we speak the truth about someone, but it's something that shouldn't be spread. Slander is when we lie about someone to mar their name. We should be the ones that want to uphold our neighbor as a hard worker, as a kind person, as one made in the image of God. We ought not to be jealous or envious of someone else's success. God should 
give us a heart that we're happy for the blessings of others. We rejoice when others rejoice and weep when they weep. That we don't weep when they rejoice and, and rejoice when they weep. And we ought not to plagiarize someone, give them credit to whom credit is due, whether it's an idea, a suggestion, a work that they've done. We ought to promote and preserve the reputation, the name, and the work of our neighbor. Will God help us to be better at that, to be concerned for our neighbor's good name, our neighbor's reputation. We ought to have an overall testimony of truthfulness. None should question our integrity. Family members, friends, employers, yea, strangers and enemies. We ought to be very meticulous and careful about our timesheets at work, about our, our testimonies of, of details at home, our Internet has uh, the uh, the bus and this whole school uh, time keeping is now suspended for a couple weeks, and everybody has a timesheet. And it's so easy to have a 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. Half they would never know in the next two weeks. Now, if it was obvious, they would know. And how the devil, he wants to whisper in your ear, you know, you could use that, uh, that, that, that $5. You could use that extra money. But should we not say, like, like Joseph, shall I do this wickedness and sin against God? When God has been so good to us and He will provide our needs. I can remember working for North Boston a long time ago, the 1990s. And... I would be downtown and, and uh, I remember I would stop at Wegmans or stop somewhere because I was near a grocery store. And, and the interesting thing is the one car that I had, the way I tried to protect myself is I would lock my driver's door. I would, un- I would keep just one back door open, unlocked. And so when I, I went for them to steal it, and so I'd go in the back door and open the front and unlock the front door. But... Anyway, it never happened that someone stole, but I, I would stop and I'd, and I'd get back in the car and say, okay, I've been a half an hour. So when I get back to base, I'm putting a half hour less than what time I arrive. And I did that for months. And finally one day the secretary came up and she was asking me about something and she said, Phil, I know you've been honest, but why is it that our, our times are often an hour, two, three hours more than your time. And I had to confess, I think I had asked them before, I said, but I hope you don't mind, I've been stopping at grocery stores on my way home. And they had no problem with that. But, you know, we ought to be, have, have absolute integrity and tell the truth and no one should doubt our truthfulness. It's sad, isn't it, that man's liability is, is discovered in Numbers 23.19. And this was spoken by a liar named um, Balaam. God is not a man that he should lie. Isn't that a sad commentary on man? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken 
and shall he not make it good? Man is known for lying. God is known for speaking the truth. It should now be that you and I as believers of all people should be known with absolute truthfulness in every situation. Remember what it says of, of the Cretans? Paul said to Titus, chapter 1, verse 12, the Cretans are always liars, slow bellies. Now he wasn't prejudiced against Cretans. He was quoting a poet of, who was Crete, who was a Cretan. Here should be the slogan of believers. The Christians are never liars versus the Cretans are always liars. God help us to be those who speak the truth in everyday situations. Our overall testimony of truthfulness. But can we, should we end there, brother and sister? What is the greatest truth that we should be known for? But evangelizing the truth. The Bible says that part of our armor, we have our loins girt about with truth. Not just that we're ready to tell the truth, which is true, but the deep impact of that. We're ready to give the truth of the Gospel, which is said several times in the New Testament, or the word of truth several times, versus the false prophets and false doctrine, or those who are silent when they should be vocal. You and I have been given a great commission. We have been given a valuable truth. We stand between the soul and hell. We have information. We have the truth that if people will hear and believe, they'll be delivered from so great a death, from the flames of hell. We are set for the truth of the Gospel, for the defense of the faith. Paul spoke about an evidence of his calling is that he was for the, the truth of God, for the Word of God. We have to remember that man is fallen and lost and condemned, but that God did not leave man in his fallen condition, but God sent a Redeemer, the only Redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus, who lived and died and was raised and ascended and is seated. And Queen Elizabeth has bowed the knee and as she had prayed and hoped, she, as it were, cast her crown at Jesus' feet. But that Jesus is poised to return again and that He's coming sooner than we think. That today is the day of salvation for precious souls. And to remember that tomorrow may be too late. Let us love our neighbor by telling them not only everyday truth about everyday matters, but God help us. God help us to tell them the truth of the Gospel for the salvation of their souls. For they're only going to live a few years here, but they have a soul that will live somewhere forever. And may you and I be among those like Ezekiel says. And I sought for a man among them, God said, that you stand in the gap for the people, that I destroy it not. But I found none. Thank God He found His Son. But in Christ, will He not find you and me as truth bearers? Let us not be silent when we should speak. This is a case where we ought to speak and not be silent no matter what the reaction is. We get intimidated by people. We get, we get discouraged that they're going to be of the three soils that never produced. But cannot God make a man who is, who is or a woman that, 
that dismissed the truth for many times, one day receive it, or someone that, that had a temporary faith and now will receive a faith that's permanent? Cannot God change the soil? Were we born with soil that was to take the seed? and Were we born Christians? No, we were born again of the Spirit of God. Oh, the Lord, revive us for a love for our neighbor. Not only to speak everyday truth, but to speak the truth of the Gospel. Is that a concern for your soul? Can I say that every true Christian has a concern for the souls of others, not just for our own souls? Amen.